So in the fog of war, you can really get lost in the news cycles, the headlines, different agendas, the social media battles, what have you. But never lose sight of the human elements of a war, that they're actual people whose lives are directly impacted by what's going on, particularly, of course, as pertains to the conflict in the Middle East right now. Uh, I'm sure lots of you out there have family group chats, ways for people to keep in touch, send memes, the dads make dad jokes, what have you. Now imagine instead of memes coming through your group chat, what came through your family group chat was a cry for help. Family members of yours telling you that they were under attack, their lives were at risk, and there were gunmen in their house. Now imagine that certain of your family members were killed, others were kidnapped, and you have to shut down your family group chat because you're concerned your family members' kidnappers might send you photos or videos of their dead body. This is not hypothetical for a lot of people. This is their reality. And two of the people for whom this is a reality I speak with this week, Naman Ophir Weinberg, they had multiple family members murdered on October 7th. Their cousin Itai is currently being held hostage by Hamas. His life is being bandied about as ransom in this geopolitical tug of war, and he never knows. He's sitting there at some hole in Gaza right now, wondering if the next knock on the door is someone to come in and put a bullet in his head. Um, so in speaking with Nama and Ophir, obviously we speak about their, how this impacts them, the emotions, the feelings, and, and how this has impacted their lives and how they see this playing out with their cousin who's currently under captivity, the relationship with the government, because obviously families of uh, those hostages, the Israeli government is in contact with them and, and you know what that conversation's like, because family members have one priority, return my family, but the government has other priorities, so there's a lot of tension there. Beyond that, uh, obviously your average citizen in Israel, in Gaza, you know, even before this conflict, they obviously had thoughts and beliefs about how to deal with the situation, that the people on the other side of this divide that they've been at war with for decades seemingly want them dead, and how can we or, or could we or could they even, even live uh, beside them in peaceful coexistence? And so like I said, there's endless issues that you can unwrap around this situation, but this week I really wanted to get into the human element, the experience if your family, if, if your life is directly impacted by this and the thoughts, feelings, and emotions that come around and the issues that you have to deal with, if it's not just theoretical for you, if your cousin is being held and his life is at risk every moment of the day, I think it's a fascinating conversation. I hope you stick around and listen to it. As it stands today, we're now about two months removed from the horrors of October 7th, but for some, those horrors are ongoing as they have friends or family members that are still being actively held captive by Hamas. I'm with two such individuals today, Ophir and Nama Weinberg. Their cousin Itai is still actively being held hostage in Gaza by Hamas. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Thank you for having us. So you guys, like a lot of other people out there, have family group chats. These family group chats, they have, you know, messages between family members, cute memes, but on October 7th, your family group chat turned into something else. What did you guys observe from that? So it was, uh, actually the first message was uh, at 7.30 a.m. And um, Orit uh, texted that first message. Orit and that's is, your aunt? Yeah, Orit is my, uh, my aunt. Uh, she's Itai's mother. They were together in the shelter. Itai was visiting her and his dad uh, for the holiday. And the first message we got was, please pray for us. It was after we already opened the news and saw um, there is a report, there are reports. So you were already aware that there was an attack going on? Yeah, but... Just an hour before it started. Okay, so this is all very fresh. Yeah, but and we weren't sure that it's happening on Kibbutz Be'eri, in Kibbutz Be'eri. Okay. So we saw the reports, but like we didn't really understand what we we're seeing. Um, so the first text message was, please pray for us. Um, she told us she hears 
bombings and shootings. Um, she hears terrorists shouting on the street. They don't have any electricity, so they don't know what's going on. They asked us what, what the news said. Mm -hmm. And we um, asked them to keep um, sending us messages every few minutes so we will know that they're okay. Um, at 10.14, we got a message from Itai's father, Afi. He was in another house, and he wrote to us, they're inside the house. Please call for help. I need, I need help. And that is the last message we got from him. He was found shot with his three golden retriever dogs. Um, all his golden retrievers were also shot. Yes. Yeah, all three of them. Um, after that, we got a message from Orit. She told us they hear it in the neighbor's house. So they like really knew it was coming for them. And then Itai uh, told his brother um, all the windows of the house were shuttered, and I still, I'm still very worried about that. I don't know what's going on there. Um, and at 10.48, Orit just sent a red heart. And that is the last message we got from her. That is how we lost our aunt. An hour later, um, my our grandmother's caregiver, Gracie, she uh, texted, they're inside the house. Please call for help. There are many of them. I don't know what to do. I'm so scared. Please. She was begging for help. And that is the last message we got from her, too. She was also murdered uh, in this attack. Um, she was with our 97-year-old grandmother in the shelter, and we're not very sure, we're not sure how our grandmother was rescued, um, but she did. She, your, your grandmother was rescued during, in, in the course of that event? She was not taken hostage? They, um, I think that what we think that what happened was that they tried to take her hostage, but she's 97 and she can't really walk. Yeah. And, um, in, they needed to hurry, and they just left her there. So well, in this situation, it's uh, a benefit to be infirmed because you're almost too much trouble for the terrorists to deal with. Yeah, yeah. and that is for better or for worse the saving grace. That is why you that that could be the difference between life and death. Yeah. And so as it stands today, both your aunt and your uncle and your grandmother's caregiver were murdered, and your cousin is being held hostage. That's right. And what information have you gotten and what, what has been the kind of trajectory of what you've learned about the situation with your cousin? So after October 7th, actually 10 days after, only 10 days after we were, um, we got the announcement or the message that Orit and Rafi, Itai's parents, both were murdered and that Itai was kidnapped. Uh, the message about Gracie, our grandmother's caregiver, came only 14 days after the attack. Her body was so mutilated that they couldn't identify the body. It's a horrific thought. Um, and the, the message about Itai uh, held, being held hostage was because they located his phone in Gaza. Um, but we all know that a phone can yeah. can move around, uh, and uh, as they stole 
many things uh, out of the houses. And as we've learned, a lot, of, you know, a lot of family members of kidnapped or murdered victims or kidnapped victims are getting messages from Hamas. Could be anything from taunting to impersonations to videos and, and photographs of gruesome murders. And, and they're using this as a bit of cyber psychological warfare. Yes. So thank God. So you're, you guys no longer have, you have a different family group chat. You had to shut it down because it might have been a channel for cyber cyber warfare from Hamas actually yes um, once we started to realize what is going on and it was I think around like 2 p.m. that after we lost contact with uh, our grandmother's caregiver it was a quarter to 12 and at 2 p.m. suddenly she she sent like a weird message not wasn't written clear it was like all it felt wrong. Mm -hmm. So we were getting scared that the terrorists stole their phone and they're going to start sending us maybe photos or videos of what are they doing to them um, and maybe like try to break through and a cyber attack. So we shut down the group and had to open a new group of the family without uh, the family members that were there. Um, and thank God they didn't use any of our family members in their psychological terror. They didn't upload uh, or post any photos or videos to what they did to them. Also, of Itai, um, at the past two months that he's been held hostage. But that was also a downside, has a downside that we weren't sure if he's there, if he's alive, if he was injured. We, we had no information about that um, until a few days ago when some hostages were released and the hostages that were held with him actually were all released. They were all women and, and children and kids. Uh, so they were released and for the first time after more than 50 days, we have been told that Itai is alive. And, and were you able to get, you feel comfortable with this information? Was there some sort of verification or do you kind of have to take them at their word? No, we take them at their word. Um, they were people that were held with okay, him. Okay, from the, the other hostages. Yes, from yeah. the other hostages. So, so they know mm -hmm. it's him for sure. They were held together. What other information did they, what, what other information did they uh, disperse about the conditions that they were held in? Where, I know that there's been some you know, fragmented discussion over, you know, they, they continue, they keep on moving the hostages around. They've got them strewn out all over. They're, they're not dumb. The terrorists think through how they do terrorism, right? Yeah. And they know that it's tougher to free hostages if they're broken up, if they're moved around a lot. You guys have gotten some information about that. Yeah, so we, we have no information about where, where they um, held. We do know that they were held as a group. Um, and that they got very little food, just like bread, sometimes rice. Um, just enough to keep them alive. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we do know they didn't shower for all the 50 days. More than 50 days they were um, released after 53 or so. Um, we know that they've been suffering a lot of psychological terror. The terrorists of Hamas telling them that there is no Israel country, 
um, that they have no families, that basically that there's no place to go back to. You mentioned yet yeah, that they can that these people being held in captivity. They're certainly not you know opening up social media. They're not of reading course. the news. They know that they could suspect that some of their family members have been murdered. But to their knowledge, it could be all of them. They don't necessarily know what what's going on in the outside world right now. So yeah. we know that that is why what Itai thinks, because all of um, all of his brothers were in the kibbutz and he watched his mother being murdered and he got the text of his about his father before and also our grandmother. So he thinks everyone were murdered um, except his sister that was far away that day. So he actually um, asked one of the hostages that were that was released um, to tell Merav I'm alive, tell her I'm here, mm -hmm. because he thinks we don't know that. And tell her to do whatever she can to, to bring me out, because I cannot be here anymore. Yeah, because this is, every moment there is psychological terror beyond not knowing what's happened to your family. I mean, you're being held hostage by, you know, homicidal maniacs. That's any, any moment. There's no rhyme or reason to whether or not when they decide that, okay, your time is up. And that could be hanging over his head, unfortunately, at any time. And how, so how's your family taking it so far? The close family members have been killed, your aunts and uncle. And how's your family been absorbing, you know, what they've had to deal with recently? So for our family, it was a very hard strike. It was like from all kinds of directions. Um, our aunt, our uncle were murdered. Our grandma, which is 97 years old, mm -hmm. she lost all she had in her life. Because uh, these, these communities were destroyed. These communities were destroyed, yeah. yes. Um, it's not somewhere to go back to in the next two or three years maybe um, until they will all rebuild. Uh, it's She was there since she was 19. She actually founded the kibbutz uh, together with our grandfather and uh, other people. And so maybe you could, I think a lot of listeners might not be familiar with the, the culture around those Israeli kibbutz. There seems to be, you know, a little bit, you've got Tel Aviv and you've got the cosmopolitan lifestyle out there in Israel. But these kibbutz, uh, kibbutzes, they, there's, they're not just rural, not just, oh, these are people who like to farm. There's a whole philosophy behind them and, you know, and, and a worldview that, that kind of animated the kibbutzes being built and people like your grandparents who decided to found them. I mean, they had certain things in mind. Yeah. So in 1946, actually October 6, 1946, oh my God. Kibbutz was established exactly 77 years before the attack. Um, it was one of the first kibbutzes in Israel. Kibbutz uh, stands behind a socialist ideology, uh, small shared communities, where it started as we all 
farm and provide whatever we need as a community. Uh, everyone gives and works how much he can and gets how much he needs. So people, some people could work more and like provide more for the community, but they need it less because they have, I don't know, they're a small family or, or they're single or anything like that. So they just need, they just get whatever they need for themselves and it could go the other way around. Um, and Kibbutz Beri is one of the last communities that still um, runs a shared life. They have a shared dining room. Uh, they have a shared like bank account where all the money goes into one bank account and then uh, is separate is um, then to each and every one of the of the friends of the kibbutz actually. And these are the primarily the communities were that were attacked on o October seventh. They were not. They did not attack cities. They attacked primarily little outposts or kibbutzes. Because they're the one that get, lives uh, closest the closest to, to the, the border. border. There were some cities, uh, big cities that were attacked, as is Slirot, uh, mm. um, but the one hidden the... That's the, the far, probably the farthest south, the most southern, larger true. city in Yeah, Israel. true. Yeah, it's just, it's... it's uh, it's odd that it's almost uh, the irony that probably the most successful socialist experiments in the world are the Israeli kibbutzes and all these people who seem to share that philosophy want to see the success of the socialist experiment are the least sympathetic to what happened to the, the kibbutz inhabitants. It's the, one of the many odd ironies of this situation. Yeah, these people are very um, liberal people and they all uh, are peace activists. Yeah, so, these are not IDF Likudniks. No, yeah. not at all. Um, yeah. These people are um, protest protesting for peace. They are advocates of uh, advocates of peace. They, uh, some of them, like uh, our aunt Orit, were part of uh, of peace organization. Mm -hmm. Orit was part part of Women for Peace organization. She was actually attending this big conference, international conference in the Dead Sea three days before she was murdered. Wow. And that's that's another thing that I think a lot of outsiders don't quite understand and that they they assume, you know, every, there's this cohesion amongst how everyone feels on one side versus the other side. But incredibly, incredible internal division in Israel about uh, obviously this is an active issue. How do we live aside, uh, alongside these people who there's a lot of bad blood and a history of violence and we're supposed to be able to find a way to get along, but there's the threat of violence hanging over it at all times. So before this event, what what were the conversations like? Because things had been relatively quiet for a few years. You know, it's been a while since the since the last intifada. Um, and some people from the outside could take a look at it and say, OK, things have gotten quieter over there. But uh, I would imagine internally this the discussion between Israelis was always active as to, OK, how do we how do we address this situation? Do we need to be more, you know, uh, more, more active in, in extending a peace branch to the Palestinians? What should we be doing? Like, how are those conversations going? So it was actually not so quiet for them mm -hmm. in the for um, it was never quiet, especially in the last um, about 20 years now that uh, the people of the near the Gaza border suffered Almost every week, um, missiles um, from the Gaza Strip. So for them, it was never quiet. It was quiet in Tel Aviv, but for them, we 
we just never saw these infiltrations from the Gaza border. Human fighters, so, from human fighters. Yes. Yeah. But they were launching missiles and rockets. This is a reality of day-to-day -day life there. And yes, not only missiles and rockets. In the past few years, it became very. They had this technique where they send balloons uh, with um, with bombs on them, and the balloons just go with the wind and used to fall either on inside the kibbutzes and in houses or in gardens and also at the farms. Mm -hmm. Dozens of, of farms were burned from the ground, like absolutely. Uh, that was a huge, you know, damage for, for those communities that are farmers and, and that's what they, they make money from. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was never quiet. It's constant attacks. It's constant yes. attacks. Yeah. Yes, yeah. constant. Um, in terms of how to address this, obviously you have some people, you know, internally in Israel who believe, who do think, yes, it's, it's either kill or be killed. They want to kill us, and as soon as we have the pretext, for better or for worse, we're going to have to kill them because it's one or the other. You have many others, as I imagine a lot of your family members and your aunts, and I'm sure your cousin as well, who believe the different approach was taken. Um, and just how much, how do those discussions go around a dinner table or outside a, a cafe in Tel Aviv? I mean, I'm sure these these com these conversations pop up. I think that no one, like from our circles, say we have to kill them. We are saying we have to dis to destroy their in their army infrastructures. We have to get Hamas out of um, the Gaza Strip, but we don't use, like, we have to kill them because this is not our mission. Our mission is not to kill them, but to live in peace for us, because we want peace for us, and this is our mission. Um, I wish we could say it, um, that it's, that is true for uh, for both sides, but Hamas is uh, telling the whole world that their mission is to kill us. It's very expressed. They do not hide it. It's yeah. not. They're very expressly say. I mean, you saw the quote. That's probably from maybe 2018, when people are talking about you know what concession could be made in a peace offering, um, or or why I think someone maybe asked a Hamas leader why they didn't try to ally with another Arab nation that was mm -hmm. trying to make peace and is to uh, maybe get a land concession. And he goes, "It's all ours." All that land is ours. They believe all the land is theirs. I just think that it's... We know Israel is not going anywhere. The Jewish nation has nowhere else to go. Israel won't be destroyed. Like, it's not a possible option. But we also know that the Palestinians will stay there. We understand that we're going to stay there and they're going to stay there. And we should somehow find a solution and live along each other. Um, and we, I also think that we can live along the, with the Palestinians. We can't live along with a terror organization. Hamas is a terror organization and we can't live Without a doubt. near them. But I'm interested on, on your thoughts there. What, what informs you as a purely rational, rational person as opposed to what you'd ideally, you know, in principle like? What leads you to believe that, that the two groups can live in peace beside each other? I understand there's no other option. We're going to stay there. There is no other option. And they're also not going to give up. Mm -hmm. And we've also been seeing footage, uh, uh, videos from the uh, Gaza Strip that of people saying, we don't like Hamas. Mm -hmm. We 
do not feel like they represent us. We feel like they don't value our life. They are using us as human shields. And unfortunately, it, it is small numbers of small number of people that are saying that, but they are also very, very scared. They are taking a risk when they talk publicly yeah, um, yeah. that way. But I uh, believe that the Palestinian people that value life all think that way. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that during this time, um, they will take the chance and, be an, uh, and build a new kind of leadership that will take their life forward because they can use the money that, are, that they are getting from the whole world to build a beautiful place. Gaza is a beautiful place. They have beautiful beaches there and resorts. That's what yeah, it's the same it's beach. It's, it's the same. It's a beach. beautiful piece yeah. of land. Yes, and that's another thing that's just kind of mind-boggling. Was uh, most of the visuals that are shown of Gaza are the low-income tenement parts of, of of the territory. And I was like, well, wait a second. About a mile and a half over is a luxury car dealership and a, a nice beachside cafe. And I'm sorry if this doesn't quite square with this notion of an open-air prison. And that's something. When people, you've got to see, I don't know if, if, if people in Israel know this, right? But people in the United States, when they see a video, they, they think it's a joke. When they see some of the videos of like, wait, here's the Gaza a mile away from what you saw in the other video. And they're like, oh my God, wait, that's that beach resort is there. It blows their mind. Yeah. And it's a lot. It's something that people still don't quite wrap. A lot of people don't quite wrap their mind around. Um, do you, has your has your belief obviously and I, I see what you're saying about listen it's just a reality we're not going we're not leaving and they're not leaving so we better li figure it out um, are you more pessimistic about it today than you were two months ago I'm more pessimistic <clears throat> about Hamas uh, I think that me personally for the first time in my life I now for sure acknowledge that Hamas is radical terror organization that we can't live nearby. This is cruelty and brutality that the world has never, never seen before. Never. And it's, it's really like you can't catch it. You can't understand a decent human mind, can't understand everything they do they've done on October 7th. The and rape. keep on doing and it. And keep on doing to the hostages. The rape. The What I keep on hearing from the Americans and the non-Jewish Americans who get to see the October 7th footage is uh, what they say, what they all say impacts them is how much they, they seem to enjoy it, how much the terrorists seem to just be gleeful about what they were doing and celebratory. Um, and that's that does seem to be. You, yeah, you cannot live aside. You cannot bargain. You cannot uh, uh, you cannot do a deal uh, with people who have such bloodlust and barbarism in them um, and understanding that. And um, and I guess we're we're kind of we're taking the IDF and we're taking the Israeli government a little bit at their word that 
removing them militarily is even a possibility. I, I think it is. It seems that you can remove any you can remove anyone militarily if you try hard enough. Is that something that can be done in a way that that does not result in such a loss loss of life that you know Israel loses even more uh, support from the world? I guess that's the question that's going to be answered over the next month to month or two. Um, the relationship, you know, you, you guys have been in touch. I imagine the government's been in touch with your family. Um, some of what we've heard is that there is a little bit of tension between the government and the families of the hostages because obviously the, 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 the government has, you know, priority 1A and 1B, the military operation and free the hostages. The, fa the, ho the, the families of the hostages, they have one priority, free, free the hostages. Um, is there, has there been, I mean, imagine you get whatever tension there is, you guys are trying to work through it, but is that something that's palpable that you understand that obviously the government wants to free all of the hostages, but that a military operation has to proceed in spite of that and that that might, might put the hostages at risk? Just, we just wish that um, the order will be free the hostages and then do do what you, you need to do uh, to destroy the the to destroy Hamas power military wise. So, but we obviously were disappointed. Mm -hmm. We were even betrayed, neglected by our own government because abandoned. they abandoned. Yeah, because they have okay. failed to protect us. Yeah. So obviously, it's we like. We, the, this is a mixed feeling because we want to support Israel and we want to support, we are supporting the government because this is our only chance. Mm -hmm. But it's a mixed feeling because we already lost family members. Yeah. There is no happy ending here. Yeah. So there will be a very happy moment when Itai, happy is an understatement, when Itai uh, will come back. But we already lost. Mm -hmm. We already lost family. We already lost homes, houses, um, and a sense of security. And of course, and we just we just expect the uh, Israel government to understand that hostage release first. After that, we will give them the the freedom to do to do what they need to do to keep us safe. But the hostage release must be first priority for us. And I also think that the 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 prioritized needs to be, uh, you know, the hostages is the only thing, they're alive, is the only thing that is, it's a matter of time. Mm -hmm. We know, according to a few days ago, maybe five days ago, that Itai is alive. But no one ensures us that it's still right. So the hostages' lives is, is, is a matter of time. We're running out of time. It's, yeah. it's a... You know, it's a run against. But Hamas could be deal after that. Like, we can do it all later. Figure that out after all the hostages that are alive right now will be back home. Because while time goes by, we already know about more than 10 hostages that were taken alive and were executed, murdered during captivity. So... If maybe they could have been released before they they would come back alive. It's certainly not. It's it's Hamas is certainly keeping the all options open. We know that they're not foreclosing any options. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what has been the communication 
what, what's been the gov uh, government representative's responses when you when you've spoken with them and communicated this? Uh, they did clarify that um, the hostage uh, the hostages is uh, one of the main goals um, of this operation, um, and each of each family has uh, a contact um, officer um, that keeps them informed if there are any new um, updates. news updates. Unfortunately, it's it's a it's few. It's there aren't. Yeah. There aren't many. Um, I also wanted to add um, that when we talk about releasing the hostages and saving their lives, we, we are also talking about saving the Palestinian lives because once the hostages will be released, the, we can save lives in both sides. When, when I'm saying Palestinian lives, I'm talking about innocent civilians. And this is our goal, to save lives on both sides. And so... Whoever is listening right now and wants to save Palestinian lives, you should support the, the fight of bringing them back home mm -hmm. because this will, will help that fight also. Yeah, peace, the, peace is a benefit to everybody and peace cannot be achieved while innocent civilians are being held hostage. Yeah. As, and used essentially as human blackmail. Yeah, and also, like, as Ophir said, it's, this war won't end until all hostages are back home. Yeah. We know that Israel won't stop, um, won't stop the operation until that mission is achieved. So while it goes on, people are being hurt on both sides. And yes, if you care about human rights, if you care about, about life, if you actually prioritize life of civilians, you should, you should support this this act and you should support this release of innocent civilians that were taken out of their houses Saturday morning. And this is not something that, that it should be a background issue when discussing this. This is fundamental. This is the This should be this the front line. This entire topic, this entire situation turns on and it's kind of, you know, it seems like something that should be self-evident yet is lost on so many people. Um Tell, tell us about your cousin. He's amazing. Uh, Itai is 38 years old. He's a very sensitive man. He's a very loving man. He is, has very close relations with his family. He left the kibbutz. He was born and raised in the kibbutz, but he left there when uh, he started university. Uh, about 15 years ago, but he used to come every weekend to visit his parents and our grandparents that he is very, very close to. Um, our grandfather uh, passed away three years ago, but he kept coming to, to visit our grandmother. It was like the most important thing for him. Um, and he had a really special connection with her. Also with his nephews, he has three nephews that He's a very active uncle. He, ha he spends hours with them, you know. He's so related with, it, with them, um, and he loves them so much. Actually, a few days after the attack, we went to his apartment to take some things away. And on his fridge, he, he, he displayed 
drawings of his nephews. His nephews are four and six years old. It's not good drawings. It's not something to be <laughs> proud of. It really isn't that good. But, but that's the kind of person he is. He loves them and he wants everyone to, to know it. And he works as a life coach. His life is, is dedicated to helping other people become a better version of themselves, to help other people, like, to achieve their own goals, um, to help other people develop in, in, their, in their life, in their, in their most painful, painful, you to know. To increase however much uh, joy and satisfaction there is out in the world, to increase it just a bit. Okay, absolutely. And... I also maybe uh, want to share the, a story that we just got like uh, an hour ago bef uh, from one of Itai's friends. We, we didn't know about that, that like a few days before the attack, they were both, uh, they both went to the beach together in Tel Aviv and they started hearing women, two women, um, screaming, screaming in the sea. They, they didn't manage to, to come back uh, to the beach uh, and they were drowning. And Ita, without any hesitation, just went inside, went, went to, ran to the, to the ocean and, and, and saved them. And now Ita is drowning. Mm -hmm. And this was only a few days before, before the attack. He, it's he's like, that's his instinct. That's the kind of person yeah. he is. That's his instinct when he's, when he hears the someone channel. in danger and that needs help, he goes. He goes to help. That's just. No, that's. It seems like someone who truly values and you know never can you see a more you know a, a more clear distinction between people who value and and cherish life and people who devalue it in the, than in this situation. Um, and you guys are about to go back to Israel. You will certainly continue with your efforts to support the hostages to free the hostages. What activities are you guys involved in, and how can others out there get involved in, and assist in this in this endeavor? So our mission um, is to um, keep this topic alive. So we're we, we're going um, all over, around the world to tell this story to newspaper, to celebrities, to every person that will listen will will tell it again and again and we do it in Israel we do it uh, all around the globe as well and one of the things that we are asking uh, mainly is just to just talk about it just make sure no one forgets it because this is not over October 7th is not over for for us Ita is living October 7th every single day for almost 60 days. Tomorrow is going to be the sixth day it ties in captivity. And just, you know, tell a friend, talk about it in dinner. If you have, if you have social media, share, share Itai's story, share any story that you like. Just make sure that no one forgets it. And, and even more, Protest, go and protest, go and demand their their return. Because I know that if the world will, will demand demand their return, they will return. But the world, unfortunately, do not demand it enough. They seem to lose sight, and that's why this 
people need to be reminded about this because they, they, they still, they've compartmentalized October 7th because that was the day that made headlines. And the act of horror that your cousin's going through and what you guys are going through, that's not something that, that, that is still ongoing day to day. And it's unfortunately easy for people to lose sight of that. But you cannot tell you, you know, how much I respect you guys making sure that that, that message and that the people do your best to make sure people do, do not forget um, and to keep reminding them. And I believe that this is all a lot of this information and ways to support Itai and the hostages are on a website that you guys are are work, are operating. And what, what website is that? So we have uh, is a personal um, Instagram page uh, for the fight of bringing Itai back home. Uh, the name is Bring It Eye Back Home. Nice to point. Yeah. Yeah. But we also have like the general um, website of all the hostages that represents all the host hostages. And it's called? Bring Them Home Now. Fantastic. Well, Ophir, Nama, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for thank having you. us. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.